kidneys. Let's do some revision on kidneys. Now I've got to think of a song that involves kidneys and urine somehow. Coldplay with yellow because, well, urine is yellow. That's the introduction, so let's head straight into urinary. A nice place to start, I think, is renal mass lesions. I think once you get the renal tumours down, that constitutes a large proportion of what you need to know for kidneys. So let's start with how we approach a renal mass lesion. Before we even talk about imaging them, I'm going to put one thing out there. If you see a mass lesion from the kidney containing fat, it's more likely than not going to be an AML. In fact, it's overwhelmingly likely to be an angiomyolipoma. Even if it enhances, it's still most likely to be an angiomyolipoma that is benign. Now, of course, Around 4% of angiomyolipomas don't have macroscopic fat, but I'll talk about those in a bit more detail later on. But for the most part, fat-containing renal lesion is an AML till proven otherwise. So approaching a renal mass lesion, we image them in three phases. I'm sure you know this anyway, but let's just mention it. The initial phase is a plain, unenhanced phase. We need that to get a baseline status to quantify the enhancement post-contrast, which I'll talk about in a second. So we have an unenhanced scan. We then have a nephrogenic phase scan. That's when all the tumours and the parenchymal abnormalities will light up. That happens around 100 seconds after giving the contrast. And then we have a pyelographic or an excretory phase scan that happens around 15 minutes later. And this is a really good problem solving phase. It's particularly useful for differentiating tumours or cystic lesions around the renal pelvis and the renal sinus. Because sometimes things like hydronephrosis uh, or dilated calluses from reflux nephropathy, they can all they can look like either a renal sinus cyst or it can look like a cystic tumor. Differ differentiating the two is easy 
on the excretory phase. Because if you can imagine, as the contrast is excreted, hydronephrosis and reflux nephropathy, this will all have denser pacification on the excretory phase. The calluses will be opacified and the renal pelvis will be opacified. Things like a sinus cyst, a renal sinus cyst, or a cystic tumour in the region of the renal sinus, they won't be opacified in the excretory phase. So three phases, a plain scan, nephrogenic phase, and an excretory phase. And I've alluded to it many times, but the most important feature in identifying a benign versus a malignant mass lesion is the degree of enhancement. By the way, if a lesion is less than two times the size of the slice thickness, then it's too small to characterise and you shouldn't really be trying to diagnose it. For example, if the slices are three millimetres, then the lesion needs to be more than six millimetres really before you can think about characterising it. But back to enhancement. So what is enhancement? We define it in different ways on CT and on MRI. On CT, enhancement is the absolute increase in the Hounsfield units after giving contrast, which is why I said we need to have a baseline plane scan. So you measure how many Hounsfield units the lesion is on the plane scan, and then measure how much it increases by after the contrast is given. On CT, if the increase in Hounsfield units is less than 10, we call that non-enhancing. If it's more than or equal to 20, that's called enhancing. Anything in between is intermediate. So on CT, the numbers are less than 10 for no enhancement and more than or equal to 20 for enhancement. A little bit different on MRI. On MRI, we use the percentage increase in signal intensity. So if the percentage increase in signal intensity on MRI is less than 15, that's a non-enhancing lesion. If it's more than or equal to 20, that's enhancing. And remember I said enhancement is the most important thing when trying to differentiate a benign from a malignant lesion. So quick recap, we're talking about how to approach a renal mass. We know there's three phases, plain scan, nephrogenic phase and an excretory phase. They all have their uses. The most important thing in any of these scans is the degree of enhancement. We measure it differently on CT and MRI. On CT, it's an absolute increase in the Hounsfield units after contrast. In MRI, it's the percentage increase in signal intensity after contrast. So now we'll move on to the types of lesions we will encounter.
the renal masses I'm going to divide into solid and cystic renal masses. These are actually really straightforward and it won't take me long to go through them. We'll start with solid and the first one I'm going to talk about is the one you hear most often, renal cell carcinoma. Who gets renal cell carcinoma? Smokers get renal cell carcinoma. The risk factors are smoking, uh, von Hippel-Lindau, tuberous sclerosis and having cystic kidney disease. I'm going to repeat that. Risk factors for having renal cell cancer are von Hippel-Lindau, tuberous sclerosis, cystic kidney disease and smokers. There are five main types of renal cell carcinoma, but don't worry, they're not hard to remember. The first one is the most common, 75% are clear cell carcinomas. You can spot the clear cells because they're the most common and they're the most enhancing. They enhance avidly. While the clear cells enhance avidly, the papillary renal cell carcinomas are the only hypovascular ones. These have only very mild enhancement. The third is called chromophobe, chromophobe as in P-H-O-B-E, chromophobe. These actually have very good prognosis. It's got a 90% five-year survival. The fourth is the collecting duct carcinomas. Again, we're still doing the renal cell carcinomas. We've done clear cell, which is 75% of them. Most common, enhanced loads. The papillary renal cell carcinomas. These are hypovascular, only mildly enhancing. Then the chromophobe renal cell carcinomas, which have a really good prognosis, 90% five-year survival. The collecting duct renal cell carcinomas. These are very rare and have a rubbish prognosis. Like with most rare things, rubbish prognosis. And finally, the medullary carcinomas. I have heard about the medullary carcinomas in exams a couple of times. These are very rare, but they're an easy exam question because they are almost exclusive to young men with sickle cell disease. They're very, very aggressive tumours and survival is around 15 months from diagnosis. It's also very poorly responsive to chemotherapy. These make it a very easy exam question because you can have some things that will give it away. So quick recap of the renal cell carcinoma subtypes. Risk factors for renal cell carcinoma, smoking, VHL, tuberous sclerosis and cystic kidney disease. The five main types, clear cell, 75% of them are clear cell carcinomas and they enhance plus, 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 plus. Papillary are hypovascular and they don't enhance that much, mildly enhancing. Chromophobe are the ones with the really good prognosis. The collecting duct carcinomas have poor prognosis and they're very rare. And finally, the medullary renal cell carcinomas. These are rare but almost exclusive to young adult males with sickle cell disease. Very aggressive, very poor prognosis, 15 months survival. Another easy way to question about renal cell carcinomas in an exam is the staging. I hate learning staging systems but actually this is quite straightforward. It's the Robson system, Robson, 
and it goes like this. It's stage one to stage four. Stage one is if the tumour is within the capsule, within the renal capsule. That's easy enough. Stage two is if it comes out of the capsule but still stays within Gerotta's fascia. Stage three is if it invades vessels or lymph nodes. Stage three is split into A, B and C, but it's really straightforward. So 3A is if it invades the renal vein or the IVC. 3B is if it invades lymph nodes. And 3C is the vessels and the lymph nodes. So just say that again. Stage one is if it's inside the capsule. Stage two, it comes out of the capsule, but stays within Gerotta's fascia. Stage three is when it invades vessels or lymph nodes. So 3A is vessels. That's either the renal vein or the IVC. 3B is lymph nodes. And 3C is vessels and lymph nodes. And finally, 4A. 4A is when it starts to come out of Girotta's fascia. And 4B is distant mets. Generally speaking, stage 1 to stage 3 are resectable, usually. They might need a funny approach if it's starting to invade different vessels. But generally speaking, 1 to 3 are resectable. 4 is not. So quick recap of the staging system. It's the Robson system, stage 1 to 4. Let's see if I can do it from memory, because it's that easy to remember. Stage 1 is when it's inside the capsule. Stage 2 is out of the capsule, but still within Gerotta's fascia. Stage 3 is when it invades vessels or lymph nodes. So 3A is vessels, which is the renal vein or the IVC. 3B is lymph nodes, and 3C is vessels and lymph nodes. Stage 4A is coming out of Gerotta's fascia, and stage 4B is distant mets. See, I can learn that, you can learn it too. That's about it for renal cell carcinoma. Here's an interesting fact about Steve Martin from Coldplay. I thought it might be nice while we're listening to him sing. Do you know the clocks went back two days ago? And actually, a man called William Willett, who was the man who campaigned for and made daylight savings time a recognised practice, was actually Chris Martin's great-great-grandfather. There you go. Won't be on the exam, but it's nice to know. The next solid renal mass I'm going to talk about is angiomyolipoma. Angiomyolipomas are benign. They're just a blob mixed up of fat, smooth muscle and lots of disorganised blood vessels. That's all it is. 
in 40% of cases, it's associated with tuberous sclerosis. Generally, if it's associated with tuberous sclerosis, it will be bilateral and you'll also see multiple cysts in both kidneys. They're usually asymptomatic, in which case we don't follow them up. If they're large, and that generally means more than four centimetres, they're at some risk of bleeding. Imaging is pathognomic, really. What you'll see on imaging is macroscopic fat. I was battering on about this earlier. You will see macroscopic fat. They are almost never calcified. They have bits that are non-fatty and the non-fatty bits will enhance loads. So on imaging, you'll see a lesion that contains macroscopic fat, never calcified, and the bits that are not fat enhance homogeneously and enhance loads, avidly enhancing, homogeneously enhancing. On MRI, the fatty bits will follow the fat signal, obviously, and will saturate out on the fat sat imaging, obviously. Now, these are angiomyolipomas. They have macroscopic fat, but they do not have intracytoplasmic fat or intracytoplasmic lipid, unlike the adrenal adenomas. So these AMLs will not show any signal dropout on dual phase MRI. Because remember, the fat in an AML is macroscopic, whereas the fat in an adrenal adenoma is intracytoplasmic, it's microscopic. I am battering on about fat, but I do have to mention that 4% of angiomyolipomas do not have macroscopic fat. In these instances, MRI is particularly useful, particularly the T2-weighted images, because if it hasn't got any fat, imagine what I said, that they have lots of fat and other bits. The other bits enhance avidly. And if you think back to what I was saying before, the clear cell renal cell carcinomas also enhance avidly. So if an AML, if it's one of the 4% that hasn't got any fat, it's just going to be an avidly enhancing mass lesion. And it's going to look very much like a renal cell carcinoma. We differentiate the two with MRI. More specifically, the T2 images. If the lesion is high signal on T2, it's a renal cell carcinoma. It's a clear cell renal cell carcinoma and we just treat it as such. If it's low signal on T2, that's where things get interesting because it can be an AML with minimal fat, but it can also be a papillary renal cell carcinoma because both of those will be low signal on T2. Imaging here is not helpful, and in these cases, we have to biopsy. So let's just summarize angiomyolipoma. It's a blob of fat, smooth muscle, and lots of disorganized blood vessels. 40% of them are associated with tuberous sclerosis, in which case they're often bilateral, and the kidneys will have lots of other cysts also. They're often asymptomatic, in which case you leave them well alone. If they're big, more than four centimetres, there's a risk of haemorrhage. Imaging is pathognomic. There is macroscopic fat. They are never calcified and any bits that are not 
fatty enhance homogeneously and avidly. When imaged on MR, they'll just follow the fat signal and they'll saturate out on the fat side images. There will not be a signal dropout on dual phase MRI because they do not have intracytoplasmic fat. Now, a small proportion, I said, 4% don't contain macroscopic fat and they just look very much like a clear cell renal cell carcinoma because the non-fatty bits, which is all of it, will enhance avidly. In this case, a T2 MRI is very useful. If the lesion is high on T2, it's a renal cell, treat it as a renal cell. If it's low on T2, maybe an AML, it may also be a papillary renal cell carcinoma and we need to biopsy. never really understood the lyrics to that song. I drew a line for you and that it was yellow. He drew a yellow line. I'm sure it goes deeper than that. After exams I'll sit down and read the lyrics and find out what he's talking about. But for now let's move on. We've done renal cell carcinoma and angiomyolipoma. Now we're going to do oncocytoma. O-N-C-O-cytoma. I have seen renal oncocytoma in exam questions a couple of times. Generally it's men in the 60s and they always mention the one feature of oncocytoma is the homogeneous enhancement with a central scar. The central scar is key but many textbooks will tell you that imaging is not specific. Imaging can only suggest an oncocytoma. So I guess the thing to remember here is generally elderly males with a solitary, well demarcated, homogeneously enhancing cortical tumour with this central fibrotic stellate scar. That's going to be the giveaway. The central fibrotic stellate scar. That's an oncocytoma. You can actually get bilateral multicentric oncocytomas in a syndrome. There's always a syndrome. The syndrome is called Bert Hogg Dubé. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. Suffice to say for now that a renal oncocytoma, it's difficult to distinguish from renal cell carcinomas. And as said already, imaging is not reliable. Imaging is not specific for oncocytoma. It can only suggest it. What makes it a lot worse is that you can see oncocytic cells that look like this 
in the chromophobe subtype of renal cell carcinoma. That's why it can be confused. So that's renal oncocytoma. Old men, solitary lesion, well demarcated, cortical, enhancing, plus, 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 with a fibrotic central stellate scar. But you can get the same cells in chromophobe renal cell carcinoma. So imaging is not specific. And let's just do lymphoma as well quickly because there's not much here. Primary lymphoma is rare in the kidney because the kidney is generally devoid of lymphoid tissue. You can get lymphoma from other places. It can involve the kidneys by direct extension of any retroperitoneal disease. It can also cause different patterns of involvement. So just very quickly, primary lymphoma of the kidney is rare. Lymphoma can involve the kidneys when it spreads from other places, either directly spreads from extension of disease in the retroperitoneum or hematogenous spread with multiple masses, that's one pattern you can see, or infiltrative disease, diffuse infiltrating disease throughout the kidney, giving you an enlarged kidney. Also, stars don't even look yellow, they look white. I'm sure the yellow has a deeper meaning. What yellow means cowardly, surely? Ah, oh, I don't know. Anyway. The only remaining things to talk about with the solid renal masses are pseudotumors and other things that can look like tumors. So first of all, pseudotumors, the two main things are either a hypertrophied column of Burton that can look like a tumour and persistent fetal lobulation. So the kidneys have lobules when they are still in the fetus. And if those lobules persist as an adult, you can imagine you'll get this bump, 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 bump shape around the kidney and that can look like a lesion or an exophytic lesion it's not and you can identify that it's just persistent fetal ovulation because the bump will have a scepter of Burton on each side which separate the uh, lobules so the two pseudotumors are either a hypertrophied column of Burton which you can identify quite easily and then persistent fetal lobulations which can look like a tumor but you can tell it's not because they will have a scepter of Burton on each side. 
other non-neoplastic lesions, infection, infection I'm going to cover elsewhere, but infection can look like a tumour as well. And finally, avascular malformations. Renal avascular malformations can sometimes look like a tumour. Obviously, because it's an AVM, they will enhance loads. The clue here will be you can get asymmetric enhancement of the renal vein on the affected side. And that's a dead giveaway that it's an AVM. So just to repeat that, renal avascular malformations are very, very, very avidly enhancing. A clue is there is asymmetric enhancement of the renal vein on the affected side. If an exam question mentions this asymmetric enhancement of the renal vein on the affected side, then it's probably going to be an AVM rather than a tumour. And that's it for solid renal lesions. We did renal cell carcinoma, we did angiomyolipoma, oncocytoma, lymphoma we quickly covered, but only because it doesn't actually affect the kidneys that much, and non-neoplastic things. I'm just going to end with some syndromes that cause renal mass lesions. These syndromes are all associated with renal cell carcinoma and I'm sure you know them all already. But the first is von Hippel-Lindau. Von Hippel-Lindau is just a syndrome that causes loads of cysts and cancers in loads of organs. It's associated with bilateral or multifocal renal cell carcinoma and clear cell is the one variant. It's also associated with pheochromocytoma and lots of renal cysts. So I'll say that again, von Hippel-Lindau is just a disease that causes loads of cysts everywhere and loads of cancers everywhere. It also does that in the kidneys where it causes loads of cysts in the kidneys and bilateral or multifocal renal cell carcinoma, the clear cell subtype. Also, it can cause a pheochromocytoma. That's von Hippel-Lindau. The next one I've mentioned already today is Bert Hogg Dube. I'm going to spell it for you. B-I-R-T hyphen H-O-G-G Hogg hyphen D-U-B-E. I think it's Dube, but it might be Dube. So Bert Hogg Dube or Dube is associated again with renal cell carcinoma. Remember I said all three of these are associated with renal cell carcinoma. But more specifically, Berthog-Dube is associated with skin lesions, cystic lung disease, renal cell carcinoma, and multiple oncocytomas. I'll say it again. So Berthog-Dube or Dube is associated with two different renal lesions. Renal cell carcinoma, of course, but also multiple oncocytomas. Not one, multiple oncocytomas. And other skin lesions and cystic lung disease. And the last one is tuberous sclerosis. We all know tuberous sclerosis. We know it presents with seizures and developmental delay. This one, I've already said, gives you bilateral angiomyolipomas. It also gives renal cysts in about 25% of people and it gives loads of stuff. Remember the rhabdomyoma in the heart and the whole list. So the three syndromes I've mentioned, VHL, Bert-Hogg-Dube and tuberous sclerosis. 
or confer an increased risk of renal cell carcinoma and renal cysts. And that is the solid renal mass lesions. I don't go into great detail because I'm a firm believer that the small tiny details you have to see to learn, you have to read them because most of us being doctors are very visual learners. So listening is very good for an overview. It helps to organise your thoughts and compartmentalise all the different tumours. Once you compartmentalise something, it makes recalling that information a lot easier. For me, it does anyway. So I purposely don't go into all the little tiny, tiny details of each tumour because it probably won't stick in your mind by just hearing it. That brings us to the end of solid renal masses. Now I'll do cystic renal masses in 10 minutes. So cystic renal masses as opposed to solid ones. Cystic renal masses can be either a neoplasm or it can be infection. And the two most common cystic renal masses are either a renal cell carcinoma, which can be cystic, and a renal abscess. So I've just said that a cystic renal mass can be either a neoplasm or it can be an infection. There's not many in the differential list for each, so we can get through them pretty quickly. I needed a new song for urine, something to do with urine and peeing, but quite subtle. So here's my new offering since the Coldplay song finished.
Now this song I understand, but yellow I still don't get. Cystic renal masses. They're neoplastic or they're infectious. The neoplastic ones. If you have a neoplastic cystic renal mass, it's going to be one of three things. The first, as I've said, is a cystic renal cell carcinoma. I've been talking about renal cell carcinomas already and said that they're usually a solid renal mass that's avidly enhancing, but it can also be a cystic renal mass. The second differential is a multilocular cystic nephroma. This is a benign neoplasm. It's cystic with lots of enhancing septa. Multilocular cystic nephroma occurs in two age distributions. It's baby boys and middle-aged women. Say it again. Multilocular cystic nephroma, as the name suggests, is multilocular with enhancing septa and it's cystic, occurs in two age groups, baby boys and middle-aged women. The characteristic feature but this is not a specific feature, but it's a characteristic feature, is that it herniates into the renal pelvis and will often cause hydronephrosis. So I've said it has a bimodal age distribution, baby boys and middle-aged women. When it's baby boys and children, the multilocular cystic nephroma can look very much like a cystic Wilms tumour. And in adults or the middle-aged women that get it, a multilocular cystic nephroma can look very much like a cystic renal cell carcinoma. And the third differential is something called MEST, M-E-S-T, that's mixed epithelial and stromal tumour. MEST can be solid or cystic, generally middle-aged females. It's benign, and it has both epithelial and mesenchymal elements, which is why it's called mixed epithelial and stromal tumour, M-E-S-T. So that's the three neoplastic differentials. Two are benign, one is malignant. The three neoplastic differentials of a cystic renal mass are cystic renal cell cancer, multilocular cystic nephroma, which we've said occurs in baby boys and young women or middle-aged women. In baby boys, it can look like a Wilms tumour, a cystic Wilms tumour. And in middle-aged women, it can look like a cystic renal cell carcinoma. Characteristically, it herniates into the renal pelvis and causes hydronephrosis. And the third differential is MEST, mixed epithelial and stromal tumour. Middle-aged women can be solid or cystic and is benign. That's the three neoplasms. Then there are two other things, non-neoplastic differentials of a cystic renal mass. I've already mentioned one, a renal abscess. That's the most common infectious cause of renal mass and it's just an abscess. It's a purulent collection the second non-neoplastic differential of a cystic renal mass is a hemorrhagic renal cyst. The key here 
a hemorrhagic renal cyst will not have any enhancing components. So that's the neoplastic and non-neoplastic cystic renal masses. And now a quick mention of renal cysts. First of all, simple renal cysts. Simple renal cysts are in almost every CT that we report. They are very common. Approximately 50% of people over the age of 50 will have a simple renal cyst. Incidental, don't follow them up even if they're big. So in order to decide it's a simple renal cyst, we all know this. It must attenuate zero or close to zero and not have any enhancing components and obviously the thin imperceptible wall which is characteristic of a cyst. On MR, a simple cyst has to be hypo-intense on T1, low on T1, high on T2 and no enhancing components. That's a simple cyst. Almost everyone has those. The second group is a renal sinus cyst. Now cysts in the renal sinus are either parapelvic or peripelvic. A parapelvic cyst is a cyst that's actually from the renal cortex but it's herniating into the renal sinus so it's parapelvic. These are quite big, they have to be big if they're originating from the cortex and big enough to get into the sinus and they're big and usually solitary. Peripelvic cysts are different. They're usually smaller. Their origin is lymphatic. They're lymphatic in origin, usually small, and there's loads of them. So that's renal sinus cysts. Cysts around the renal sinus are either parapelvic or they're peripelvic. If they're parapelvic, they're cortical cysts that are big, and they've herniated into the renal sinus, they're usually solitary. If they're peripelvic, then they're around that area anyway, and they're lymphatic in origin, usually small, usually multiple. And finally, a hyperdense cyst. If you find a cyst that's homogeneous and hyperdense, by hyperdense we mean an attenuation of more than 70 Hounsfield unit on the plain CT. 
that's a benign hyperdense cyst and most likely it's just hemorrhaged in the past. Now, I've just said that a hyperdense cyst is a homogeneous cyst with an attenuation of more than 70 Hounsfield units on the plane imaging. That's a benign hyperdense cyst and probably hemorrhaged before, which is why it's hyperdense. If you haven't got any plane imaging, you can't diagnose a hyperdense cyst. Because once you've given contrast, there's no way to tell whether it's a hyperdense cyst or a mass that's enhanced. So if a question talks about this, don't call it a hyperdense cyst if you haven't got a plane scan. That's it for the cysts. And of course, you can't talk about renal cysts without talking about Bosniak. I must have learnt the Bosniak classification maybe 75 times in my life and it just does not stay in my brain. So let's talk Bosniak. Did you know that Mr. Bosniak, that was Morton Bosniak, obviously who came up with this classification, only died in 2016. So it's a very recent thing. And he was a professor of radiology at NYU. So we all know Bosniak, but we don't actually know, know it properly. Bosniak classification is category 1 to category 4. 1 and 2 have no risk of malignancy, don't follow them up. 2F has got a small risk of malignancy and you do need to follow that one up. 3 and 4 are lesions that are uh, concerning for cystic renal cell carcinoma and they need surgery. So 1 and 2 don't follow up, they're fine. 2F, follow up, small risk. 3 and 4, surgical lesion, take it out. It might be a renal cell. So let's start with category 1. We never call it a category 1 Bosniak, we just call it a simple cyst. It'll have attenuation of 0, a hairline thin wall and no enhancement. So a simple cyst. A Bosniak 2 is, a, again, 
Hounsfield units of zero, water attenuation cyst. It can have a few hairline septa, so three or less hairline septa. It can have some very fine calcification of the septa, but must not have any enhancement. This group also includes small cysts that are hyperattenuating, but don't enhance. So if they're smaller than three centimetres and are hyperattenuating, but not enhancing, they are category two. So let's implant this into our brains for once and for all. Category one's a simple cyst. We know what a simple cyst is. Don't want to talk about that. Category two is a simple cyst plus three or less hairline septa. It can have a few septal calcifications. So three or less hairline septa and a bit of those septa can be calcified. That's okay. Also included here are any small cysts less than three centimetres, which are hyper attenuating but don't enhance. A category 2F Bosniak cyst will have multiple septa. It can have some smooth thickening of the septa of three millimetres or less. Three seems to be the recurring number here. The calcification can be thick or nodular. 2F can have minimal wall thickening with some perceivable enhancement. The terminology is really important here. So a 2F cyst can have perceived enhancement, but no measurable enhancement. Once the enhancement is measurable, it becomes a Bosniak 3. And 2F also includes cysts that are larger than 3 centimetres and hyperattenuating without enhancement. So if you remember, category 2 had the cysts that were hyperattenuating less than three centimeters. 2F has the hyperattenuating cysts that are more than three centimeters, but neither of them enhance. These have around a 5% chance of being malignant, so they're still overwhelmingly likely to be benign. However, they do need follow-up. There's no proper rules on how often they should be followed up, but a I guess six months is reasonable in most books. So let's go over it again to implant this into our brains. Category one, Bosniak, simple cyst, we know that. Category two, three or less hairline thin septa. You're allowed to have some very fine calcifications within the septa. Plus any hyper attenuating cyst less than three centimetres. Category one and two, the chance of being malignant is zero and they are not followed up. Category 2F needs follow-up. Chance of malignancy is around 5%. These have multiple septa. They can have thick or nodular calcification. They can have perceivable, perceived enhancement, but not measurable enhancement of the wall or the septa. And of course, any of the hyperattenuating cysts that are more than three centimetres will be a 2F. Scan them again in six months' time or do an MR. Category 3. It becomes category 3 when there is measurable enhancement of either the walls or the septa. So a category 3 cyst has thickened 
irregular walls or thickened irregular septa with measurable enhancement. These may well still be benign. They can be either caused by infection or they can be the multilocular cystic nephroma I was talking about. Remember, that's the one that has a bimodal distribution, young boys and middle-aged women. Treatment here is surgical because you can't tell what it's going to be. Around 55% of Bosniak 3s are malignant. And finally, Bosniak 4. A Bosniak 4 will have a nodular component which is separate from the wall, separate from the scepter. It will have a bit, a nodule that's enhancing. So once you've got a solid bit that is not associated with the wall or the scepter, a solid enhancing bit makes it a Bosniak 4. The risk of malignancy is 100% and they need to come out. Hi guys, before you listen to your episode today, we just wanted to take a moment and say thank you because this project has snowballed. We have hundreds of listeners and it's lovely to hear. It was a novel idea and it seems to have worked and we have so much more in store for you from December. We have lots of new hosts joining us, each with their own character, their own unique taste in music and their own style. We will have more songs mnemonics, rhymes, and lots of ways for you to remember things. That is all coming up from December and it's going to be so much fun. For the moment, we are putting a temporary break on new material just because the exam is looming and we are all taking it. We do have the odd half an hour here and there, however. So if there are specific topics that you'd love us to cover that you can listen to on your commute, then please do drop us a voice message and we'll do our best to do it as soon as possible. We've reached the home stretch and the finish line is in sight. So get your heads down, give it one last push and from the team at Songs for FRCR, good luck.